0: Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now, let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message.
1: Well, thank you for being here this morning, especially as we start off in Numbers. Our message today is Numbers at 35,000 feet. You can take your Bibles, though, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in our scripture reading. For there, we're going to start with Numbers. Let me ask you as you're turning there, have you ever heard of the phrase, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it? Anyone remember that? Or any of you here say that you've condemned to repeat it already because you forgot it? Right? It's an old Famous phrase. Some believe Winston Churchill gave it, but it was well before him. It was a philosopher. Well, if you haven't heard the phrase, I can guarantee that the majority of you here have lived it. You have forgotten the past, and you've been condemned to repeat it. I can tell you this because of ice cream headaches. You eat too much, you get a headache. The next week comes by, you eat it too fast and you get an ice cream. That just propels that whole slogan. Well, maybe not, but for me. I want to give you a couple illustrations of those who did not remember the past, but were condemned to repeat it. We think of military miscalculations. In June of 1812, Napoleon had assembled an army of 600,000 Frenchmen to invade Moscow. Now, we may make the joke that 600,000 Frenchmen doesn't scare anyone, but let's just take it that, that we do. And all apologies to anyone from French descendants here. As he marched into Russia, it was typhus carrying lice, not the enemy soldiers that began to take a toll on these Frenchmen. Despite the typhus and trench fever, a weakened French army did finally reach Moscow on September 14th, declaring victory in a largely vacant city. Rulers of emptiness. On the return trip, however, temperatures plummeted to 22 degrees below Fahrenheit, freezing the beleaguered, now listen to this, freezing these soldiers' lips together and killing thousands of horses, facing such hard conditions with little food, as few as 10,000 men made it back home. 600,000 leading out, looking for victory, 10,000 Come limping back. Fast forward to 1941 as Hitler's army begins its own June invasion of Russia, known as Operation Barbossa. Believing that victory would only take a few months, and despite owning several books about Napoleon, the Nazi leader sends his troops into battle ill prepared for the impending winter. Again, plummeting temperatures and a lack of warm coats and hats meant many returned home without their ears, their nose and fingers, and even eyelids. And of course, no victory. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We see that with economic crashes, whether we go from the Great Depression of 1929 or the Great Recession of 2007, we see that those things that we learn from them, we forget and we find ourselves 10, 15, 20 years back doing the same thing. Or how about genocide? Remember the war to end all wars was going to end all wars and bring in peace? Well, think about the Armenians in Turkey, the Jews in Germany and Poland, the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, the Rwanda, and now Syria. Time and time again, we see genocide rise up. Responses to natural disasters, whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, floodings, and fires, we continually forget the lessons of the past, and we wind up repeating them. Today, we're going to begin our fall sermon series by studying the book, of numbers. And interesting enough, if I had to come up with a sentence summary of this book, I would quote the phrase from above. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. This morning is a different type of message as we consider some facts about the book of Numbers, why we should read it, and consider this ancient text of Hebrew history and its relevancy towards us today. First, Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this book of Numbers. Probably, if we're honest, a book that many of us skip. We don't think much about it. It, If we open up its first pages, it just seems, okay, I I think I'm done with this. But Father, this is a book of Scripture written by the Holy Spirit, preserved through time for us. It, too, is profitable for teaching, correction, and 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 training, and instruction in righteousness. We are responsible for your revealed word. So I pray that as we open up this book, that you just help us to blow off the dust that may be in these pages. Help us to read with understanding, open up our hearts to understand and a desire to understand what the book of Numbers has for us as a church and as Christians today. We thank you for those who have preserved it for us. In your name we pray, amen. Let me give you some several facts. I, I like research, so here's some facts about the book of Numbers that you may know or not know. The author is Moses. The title in Hebrew, we call it Numbers. That's the Greek-Latin version. But in Hebrews, it's called In the Wilderness. That's the title of the book, Numbers. The time frame, if you're looking at the time frame, is in the second year of the Exodus. So it takes place in year two after they have left Egypt. It's in the second month, and it begins on the first day as you open up to Numbers one one, It is the fourth book of the Pentateuch of the five first five books of the Old Testament. The story consists of Israel's experience in the wilderness, and it spans 40 years. So as we come to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Numbers is the longest book. And by the way, you may rest easy, it will not take us 40 years to get through it. It may take us 40 days, but it, will, it won't take us 40 years to get through it. And some of the themes that are found in Numbers is rebellion, disobedience, judgment, but also restoration and God's faithfulness. So it is an interesting book. Number takes place in three settings. I think here we might have it here on the map here. You might see that you see, Mount, or you see the area of Sinai, kind of what we know now is where Egypt is. But if you go down the bottom, you'll see Mount Sinai there. That's where they received the law. If you follow that red, you see that that's where they, the book starts off. Then they move where that red line is and they go to Kadesh uh, Barnea. There's a time there they spent there. And then the line doesn't continue. But if you see Moab there, then you'll see that at the end, they wind up in Moab. So there's three areas we're going to be looking at. They're camped at Sinai. They're camped at Kadesh Barnea. And then they're also then camped at the, at the plains of Moab. And then the little journeys that take us from each place. Numbers now is not entirely gloomy, though there's a lot of death, there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of persecution that's going on. We see many of those types of things. However, there's also some wonderful things and victories that happen in the book of Numbers. We see Israel conquers some formidable opponents. We see Israel takes possession of the territory on the west side of the Jordan. And then we see that as we come to the end of the book, they're poised to cross and finally enter the promised land that was given back in Genesis. Now, if you are like me, and I know many of you are not, you may love research and you might love facts, but you still might wonder, okay, but why should we read this ancient text of Hebrew history? Why is it relevant to us? How can it help me love God more? How can it help me grow more? How can it help me uh, in my marriage or in my relationship with my wife? How can it help my children be better? How can it help me at work? Well, I think those are good and great questions that we should ask. C.W. Faulkner, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Walford, Texas, writing for Nine Marks Ministry, lists six reasons to read the book of numbers. And I'm indebted to his work, and I'm going to kind of take some of what he's done there, and I'm going to share with you six reasons why, but then I'm going to look at them a little bit more fuller. But first, before we do that, I want to reread a portion of our passage from the scripture reading earlier. It's here in the monitor, but I think you have it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. we read verse 6, then verses 11 and 12. Look at it, it says, now these things took place as examples for us. You may want to underline that or circle that. These things took place as examples for us that we may not desire evil as they did. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he's referring to the Old Testament. Now, in verse 11, he goes, Now these things happened in them again as an example, but they were written down for our what? Instruction. We need to understand that. Examples are there for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest ye fall. And that's kind of the theme of the message as we're looking at numbers at thirty-five thousand feet. Take heed, lest ye fall. He who forgets the past is condemned to repeat it. They are examples. Written for our instruction today. So with that, let me give you six reasons why you and I should read and understand and and explore the book of Numbers. First is we need to read the entire Bible. It's important for you and I to understand that even Numbers is part of the inspired Word of God and is for our benefit and for God's glory. So often, you and I, we find ourselves either in the Psalms or or maybe we're really committed, so we read a proverb a day or a proverb a month or something like that. Or we like the Old Testament stories, so we like Judges or the thing about David and that big Goliath giant thing, you know, and all those wonderful things. But typically, we just like to stay, hey, with the Christmas and the Easter story. We like those things are simple. Or maybe you're like one of those guys, I love history, so let's read Acts. I love to hear about all those travels and what Paul is doing. Or you're one of those guys who just likes to parse doctrine. Your, t- your type of fun is conjugating Latin verbs in a closet all by yourself. Maybe that's you. And so you're looking at doctrine and you're getting down to parsing all those little things. But Numbers tells us a lot about the Bible. One of the things it tells us more is about Moses. And Moses, as you know, is one of the most integral parts of not only the Jewish and Hebrew faith, but of the Bible itself, of itself. Moses himself points to the greater Christ. And what we see about in Numbers, what it tells us more about Moses, is that his role as a mediator. Now we had seen that from Exodus, but in Numbers chapter 12, verse 8, Yahweh himself says of Moses, that Moses is faithful in all my house. With him, listen to this, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And behold, and, and he behold, excuse me, the form of the Lord. Scripture would go on to say that there is no one else that God sits down and talks with except like Moses. I mean mouth to mouth, face to face almost so to speak. This is one he doesn't give in riddles and visions like da- Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, which strange things that we then try to comprehend and ponder. No, he, I talk to him and, and he's a mediator. We also see Moses' character. In Numbers chapter 12, again, verse 3, it says we read that Moses, or the man Moses, was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Again, as it gives us an example that Jesus himself Was a meek man. Now, again, don't mistake that meekness for weakness. That's not what it's saying, but he's a gentle man, gentle soul. In the same way, Jesus was the greater mediator who spoke with God face to face, for he himself was God. It's in chapter 20 we find out about his family. His sister Miriam, who, as we're going to see in Numbers, continually was a thorn in his side, winds up facing death. In chapter 20, we read the sad story of Moses and his punishment, we read that because of his disobedience and his anger, that he's prevented from entering the promised land himself. And in that same chapter, 20, we read that his brother Aaron, who was so integral to his ministry, his death is recorded as he too will not be led into the promised land due to sin. So think of it. Of all the people outside of Joseph and the patriarchs earlier, from Exodus and Deuteronomy, You'll see that Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, the family of Moses, are are very uh, important. But yet all three of them die and never step into the promised land. Numbers is also another reason we should read it, or or, or we need to read it because it's the entire Bible. But Numbers continues the promises to Abraham from Genesis. The promises to the patriarchs are found in Genesis chapter 12. You might remember that series. And they're being fulfilled here as we get into Numbers, as we see the land, the, the, the many descendants, the covenant relationships with God and the blessings to the nations. The ESV study Bible points out and when it comes to the land, you see that the land of Canaan is the goal of the book of Numbers. It's in their sight. They're almost right to it. They're ready to enter into it. It is broached in the first chapter. A census is taken of all the men who are able to go to war. Israel is being prepared to fight for the land. Chapter 10 sees them setting out from Sinai, led by the fire of God's presence. Chapter 13 relates their arrival at the southern border of the land and the missions of those 12 spies. The spies' gloomy report causes Israel to lose heart about the land, the land that they were promised, the land that was their dream. And God sentenced them to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. But the second half of that book shows that the people again are on the move towards the land, overcoming opposition and reaching the eastern border of Canaan, marked by the Jordan River. The last word as we see from God in the book of Numbers is both a command and a promise, each of the tribes of Israel shall hold on to its own inheritance. We also see that the promises of Abraham when it comes to descendants. Abraham had been promised that his descendants would be as many as the stars in heaven. Now you might recall from our study of, of Genesis and Exodus that Jacob's family only consisted of 70 people when he entered in to Egypt. But now they have increased immensely, hence why we saw that they were enslaved because Pharaoh was, and Egyptians were worried about them, concerned that they might rise up but now they've increased. The first census shows that the fighting men themselves of 20 above was about 603,550. Some scholars have, have said that would be about 2 million people if you talk about those under 20, and then uh, 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 young men as well as uh, women and children. The first census showed that they had deaths, over 603,000 men. But that did not include the women and the children. Surveying their camp from the hilltop, and we'll see this a little bit later in our study, Balaam, who was a prophet, declared, Who can count the dust of Jacob or the number of the fourth part of Israel? And if you remember Genesis, that was part of God's uh, uh, promise to them, that they would be like the stars of the heaven and like the sands of of the desert. Balaam went on to predict that Israel would become a powerful kingdom in its own right. Again, Numbers is pointing out and continuing that theme of God's promise. We also see covenant relationship with God. Now, the essence of the covenant, as we go back to Exodus and Leviticus, was that you shall be my people, and God says, I will be your God. That's the covenant, that's the agreement. The Lord's presence with Israel is constantly brought out in the book of Numbers. There are dramatic manifestations of his presence in the cloud that guided them or that appeared to them at crisis. You might remember the cloud during the, uh, the, uh, during the day and the fire of night, the pillar of fire at night. We see it in the design of the tabernacle and the harsh measures that to be taken against intruders, that all emphasize the reality of God's holy presence. You might remember some of that Leviticus. Well, Numbers is going to build upon that. On the other hand, Israel was expected to trust in God's promises and obey his laws. Failures to do so resulted in the death of individual, and as we're going to see in Numbers, actually a large group of people Even Moses forfeited his right to enter the land because of his disobedience to God. But despite Israel's persistent failure to keep the law, God never forsakes them or goes back on his promises. They may have to wait an extra 40 years to enter the land, but eventually they do reach it. What we see here is the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in his steadfast love. We also should read Numbers as, as, as the entire book because again it gives us the promise of Abraham to the blessing to the nations. This is an aspect of the promises that's least apparent but when we see it as we go in here, Israel, those who, those who love and, 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 and give peace to Israel get in return. Those who do not find themselves in judgment. The implication is that nations who treat Israel generously by their blessings will themselves Be blessed. So not only should we read it because we're we're, we're responsible to read the entire of the Bible and it gives us more information. But it also, number two, we need to read it because we need a crash course in biblical theology. We need to remember what the Bible is about. You see, Numbers is a continuation of the redemption story that begins in Genesis. As you may recall, the Bible has 66 books with thousands of characters and thousands of, of plots and adventures. But in reality, it contains one storyline. Now, this, this isn't uh, unfamiliar to most of you who have been here any time, but there's only one storyline in the Bible. The storyline is divided up in four chapters that are interwoven throughout Scripture. The creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And you need to understand it as you read the Bible, you need to understand in what chapter am I reading? Am I in the creation? Am I in the fall? Am I in the redemption? Or am I in the restoration or recreation? Now the storyline is simple, and I want you to write this down. The storyline of the Bible is simple and it consists of nine little words. You ready? Here is the storyline of the Bible in nine words. The prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. People say, why do you read the Bible? Because it's a great love story. The prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. Isn't it interesting that Disneyland has made a a cottage industry off of that storyline? That's the storyline of the Bible. Jesus comes and slays Satan and wins the bride of Christ, and that's his bride. That's the simple storyline of the scripture. Genesis recounts the creation of the world, the life of the first patriarchs, the promises of God to his chosen people, and the move to Egypt. Egypt conveys the faithfulness of Yahweh and the miraculous deliverance of his people from the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. It follows their journey to Mount Sinai, where they receive the law in the form- from Yahweh. The book of Leviticus, as we saw, uh, I, I can't, did we do that last year or earlier this year? I can't remember, details Yahweh's expectations on how people were to approach him in worship and work and in their ordinary living. God has expectations how you and I can honor him and approach him. Now, Numbers continues this storyline that started in Genesis and has been interwoven in Exodus and Leviticus. It begins with Israel making final preparations to leave Sinai from where they received the law and the things of the tabernacle and the other commands from Yahweh. At first, we're going to see that there's a sense of triumph as they set out on their journey to the promised land only to succumb to a series of disasters that include the people grumbling at the difficulties of the journey, the impossibility or the possibility of conquering Canaan as they hear the report of the people who lived there. And Numbers ends at the bank of the River Jordan with an actual new generation of Israelites who then are ready to cross and conquer the promised land. The story of redemption is moving forward. All of this is moving toward the redemption that's going to be found at Calvary with Christ and the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, the restoration that you and I are looking for, that hope that you and I have. God is calling out a people to follow him. And Numbers as difficult as it may be at times, is continually to weave that story for us. Now the third reason you and I should read Numbers, the relevancy of it to us today, is that it displays the seriousness of sin. As you and I go through Numbers, this is where we're going to have to say, take heed. This is why they are examples for our instructions. By Numbers 14, listen to this. And we'll see this a little bit more next week. At the beginning of Numbers, there's uh, 603,550 men over 20 for battle. By By Numbers chapter 14, all of them are dead, along with their parents and brothers and sisters. There has to be a whole new census. That whole generation is gone because of the seriousness of sin. And you, by them being examples for our instructions, we, you and I need to be reminded of the seriousness of sin. That was the scripture reading that Landon gave us earlier. Paul was telling the Corinthians, you need to take sin seriously. By Numbers 14, all the people from the first census are dead due to their disobedience to law, Yahweh's law, their distrust of His protection for them, and their doubt of His promises. And I would have to say that there are many here today. I, I, let me rephrase that. There may be some here today that I want to encourage you that if you are struggling because you're disobeying God's Word, that you're struggling because you have a distrust of God's protection and His goodness towards you, and the doubt of His promises, I want to encourage you, take heed lest ye fall. Examples for our instructions. You see, the big picture for you and I today is that God expects obedience. His words are not suggestions. There are ways in which you and I can approach him in our ordinary life, in our work, in our worship. You and I need to take heed that we do not fall. When we look at the book of Numbers, we think of it, oh, that's an Old Testament book. But Numbers is actually used quite a bit and quoted and referred to in the New Testament. The apostles, the prophets, and the poets all refer back to Numbers. There's warnings from the apostles in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Revelation chapter 2 that we read of earlier. There's talk about greed in Jude 11 and in 2 Peter. There's the messianic expectations found in Numbers in 2 Peter. Hebrews 3 references Numbers 12 when it talks about, Do not harden your hearts. John 3, 14, when we think of, for God so loved the world, but it also references Numbers 21, where Jesus says that he would be raised up like the serpent in the wilderness. The story of the brass serpent that we'll find in Numbers. And then when Paul warns against idolatry in his letters, (coughs) three out of the four examples come from the book of Numbers. Because they are examples. Examples for our instructions. See, here's the warning. You and I need to understand the seriousness of sin in our own life. God is faithful to his promises, but you and I need to understand that he will let those who are his people or those who profess to be his people to walk away and efface face the consequences of their sin. Even those that are in Christ, when we walk away, we are not—we uh, 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 do are not absolved from the consequences. I'm reminded of this in a little story of a young man who's 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 saying, "I repent, I repent," but what he's repenting is so he don't get the consequences. But you may repent, but that doesn't absolve you of the consequences. And you and I may be living now, experiencing the consequences of our sin, and we're saying, well, God, you must not love us. God, you're not protecting us. God, your promises are no good. But God is saying, I love you. I've given you these warnings. Yes, I will restore you. I'll forgive you, but these consequences aren't real. The seriousness of sin must be heeded. Judgment and preservation are on full display through the actions of both the Hebrews and Yahweh. Pastor C.W. Faulkner writes that the book of Numbers narrates a journey full of hope and warning that every Christian needs to heed. Yes, there is a promised land that's waiting for you and I. God will help us across the obstacles. He will help us defeat our enemies. But yet, if we fail, if we distrust, if we doubt Him, there are consequences to that. He goes on to write that Numbers teaches us that when God is with his people, listen to this, and this is something you need to get a hold of. It's a hard thing to get a hold of, but we need to understand it. Numbers teaches us that when God is with his people, the only thing they need to fear is their own sin. Why? Because it's the thing that can drive us from God's blessing. It's the thing that can paralyze our service. It's the thing that can harden our hearts. And kind of what Pastor Lewis was saying last week is that if we continue to harden our souls and our hearts, it actually shows that we were never one of Christ's chosen people at all. So it displays the seriousness of sin. Fourth, it sharpens the image of the priesthood as guardians from God. Now, I know as soon as I read that phrase, your eyes just glazed over and your mind just took a mental nap. nap. Mine almost did reading it. But however, let me tell you that there is a beautiful picture, even though that is a mouthful. As you and I need to see that as we look through numbers, many times Aaron and the priesthood stand guard from God's destruction. Many times it's the priesthood that come out and protect the people by waving the incense. What we're going to see is that over 19 times that they come out and they, claim, and they protect God's people from God's judgment. Or God uses them to blunt it. You see, you and I need to approach a holy God. And that means that we must not come in our own will or our own way, but through him. You see, the priesthood served the nation by preventing presumption and carelessness in approaching the Lord. In other words, they were not only to tell the Lord, they were to teach the people the right way to approach the Lord. And then when people failed to do so, they were responsible for going in and and, and judging themselves. Now, take a look at now when we look at the New Testament. Who is the priesthood of the believers? Well, Jesus, but all of us are the priesthood. And so what we see here as we go into the church, all of us are called to protect and teach one another. To teach one another to love God and how to approach God, to serve God, to help one another, to take heed. What does he say in Galatians? Bear one another's burdens so that we may fulfill the law, to protect one another, to guard one another to confess our sins to one another. So in there, as we look at numbers, we're going to see the image of the priesthood as guardians from God. Not just guardians to God, but they were guardians from God by keeping each other, what's the word, honest and faithful. So in the same way I propose to you today, it's why this church believes in membership. And we would call you, if you're one of Christ's people, to join our church. It's so that we can combine together to love one another and to protect each other. To lead each other. To realize that we're not on this journey alone. So when one of us distrusts or doubts or, 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 or is distracted from God, the others will come and lead him back. So they don't have to face the seriousness of their sin. That's one of the purposes of the small group, a place where we can come from here and get into a group and get to know each other and then break up into even smaller groups to kind of help and encourage one another. You need that. You may think that, well, hey, it's just me and my family. I, I can do that for my family. And yes, you should. But who guards the guardians? Who protects the protectors? Who disciples the teacher? We're all involved and interconnected. Number five, it fortifies our confidence as we live and worship in a hostile world. As we look through here, Israel's journey is going to expose their faithlessness. But in the same way, it demonstrates God's faithfulness to them and to his promise. Like them, we are in a journey where we're going to face those that are hostile to our our faith. It may not be rattlers in the desert. It may not be a, 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 a creek bed. That's a creek, uh, creek bed. That's um, that's empty and bare. We may not be facing big old giants carrying spears, but you and I face obstacles nonetheless. We become harsh because we're thirsty. We become hungry for spiritual food. There are those that are seeking to strike out and to paralyze us into fear and enemies that want to destroy us and keep us from serving God. you and I need to understand as God fortified their confidence. He does the same for us. God is faithful despite our faithfulness. This book shows the steadfast purpose of God to fashion a people for himself and that's what he's doing today who will display his image to the world, and out of which his appointed Savior will arise. These people are who the Savior will come from. And he'll come from Jerusalem, from Judah, from Bethlehem. And so this is the way in which God is going to get Christ there. And then number six, it celebrates the security that's ultimately found in Jesus if the great threat to the people of God is God's own holiness, then our great hope is Jesus' righteousness. If the only threat to the people of God is our own sin, then what's left to fear if we've been forgiven in Christ? As we point to Jesus, we see that God is making a way. And our security is not found in our own holiness or in our just keeping of the law, but it's when Christ has done for us. When we say take heed, when we see the scripture says that these are examples for our instruction, Numbers is a way in which we can look at the past so that we're not condemned to repeat it. I want to share with you three things that you and I can learn from the past. Not only Numbers, but specifically Numbers. What you and I must learn is number one, that all may participate, but may not all all may not finish. Though all may participate, not all may finish. This is a warning to those that are listening and reading numbers. 603,000 young men, 20 and above, ready to go to war, only to find themselves within the, within the task of 40 years dead, never entering. The, the, the promised land. Those of their brothers and sisters. All may participate, but all may not finish. And this was the message, I think, of the last three weeks that we give is to finish well, is what my message was. Uh, uh, Landon's was, you and I need to understand that not all are Christians. Pastor Lewis told us that we have to rely on God's word if we're going to finish well. So you and I, it's not just about participating, but it's about finishing. Number two, we are to learn from their failures. Let's not make the same mistakes. You know, we, we have the same, well, I like to live my life by trial and error. Well, you know, I like not, not to repeat the errors that I see around. Learn from them. That's one reason small groups is getting important. How, what, what are you struggling with in your marriage? How did you overcome it? What's the difficulties in raising your children? How do you do it? Hey, I've got a boss at work that's just really, I struggle with. Well, what do you do about it? These are encouragements for us. Number three, we are to totally trust in the Lord during testings and trials. Israel fails miserably. They lose a whole generation. All of those that came out of Egypt That experienced all those 10 miraculous powers, who crossed the Red Sea, who received water out of the desert, who received food and, and water from God, those who experienced all that God did, not one of them, other than Joshua and Caleb and their families, entered into the kingdom. I'm sorry, entered into the promised land. It's a sad note. Delivered yet to die in the desert. Hey, that's a good title. Delivered but died in the desert. I love to to alliterate D, 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 D there. Despite that, we're to totally trust in the Lord during these trials and testings. Let me encourage you don't despair, don't doubt, don't be deceived by the enemy, but trust in the One. Take heed lest you fall. Let me lead with this word of encouragement, if I may. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I'm going to ask with your head bowed and worship team come up. You and I need to be careful of false assurances You and I need to stand in the faith, not in our misplaced confidence in just word knowledge. We need to recognize, accept that both blessings and testings come from the Lord. If you're coming through a journey now that seems similar to what Israel went through, don't despair, don't doubt. You and I must understand that there's going to be a tremendous pressure to compromise in this world. You and I need to understand that avoiding overt associations with idolatry and sin is going to come with a high price. Ridicule, hatred, uh, being ostracized politically, financially, and even socially. Israel failed miserably in the book of Numbers. But yet also we see a hope and a renewal as God is moving towards Calvary. I pray that you join me as we continue in numbers. Would you take a moment to pause and consider what I shared with you this morning about take heed, lest ye fall. About understanding the examples leading to our instruction. And would you pray that God would use this series in a mighty way to both encourage and challenge yourself. And would you respond to the Spirit's work as you read and study this great book with me these next few weeks. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, let it come alive to us. Let us not despair or doubt. Lord, let us not be deceived. But Lord, help us to keep our mind on the storyline. The the, the prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. And Father, as we work our way through the storyline of the Bible, may we be given hope. May we be given the truth. And Lord, may we share that with others. We praise in Christ's name. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at faith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org.